0: what's up everybody welcome to the artists of data science today we've got a conversations episode where we get to hear from people who are doing interesting work pursuing their dreams and adding value to the world we're going to get inside their heads see what makes them tick and walk away with a new perspective that will help us in our journeys these episodes are much less structured and formal than what you normally hear on the show they're raw unedited and for the most part, unproduced. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'd love to hear what you think about these episodes. Feel free to email me at gmail.com with your thoughts. Our guest today is taking the boring career advice that 40-something-year-olds love to tell us and adds a Gen Z twist to it. He's leading the movement to help students navigate their way through college, networking, LinkedIn, and the job search process. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcoming our guest today, host of the Declassified College Podcast and the Get Your Grind Up Podcast, Justin Nguyen. Justin, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here, man. I really appreciate you coming on to the show.
1: No, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. I'm super excited to see, see how this goes.
0: Yeah, man. So let's start off by learning a little bit more about you. Talk to us about where you grew up and what was it like?
1: Yeah, so I like to say that I grew up in like a really unique place. Um, I grew up in Windsor, Connecticut. And for those who don't know, like Connecticut is a one of the smallest states in the U.S., But also B, we are typically stereotyped as like rich people just because when you think of Connecticut, you think of like South Connecticut right next to New York. And that's where all of the Wall Street bankers live. But where I lived, I lived right outside of Hartford. And what most people don't understand is Hartford is, I believe, like a top 10 poorest capitals in the US. So we have this really interesting dynamic in Connecticut where, where I went to school, I got to see sort of the poor side of the world as well as the upper echelons and rich side too. And because I came from this town that didn't have the quote-unquote best reputation when it comes to we're not like this rich town, when I went to go play soccer, um, because I was a big soccer player growing up, I was considered like the hood players to, to play on these teams. And it was like super interesting to me because I didn't think I grew up in the hood or went to the hood or anything like that. By no means did. Like I grew up in a very suburban town but that was just the stereotype put on the where I grew up. and But that gave me such a unique sort of perspective of especially when I went to college of like I can communicate to the kids that grew up on welfare and everything like that, as well as the kids that have million plus dollar houses and go to private schools their whole life. So I think I grew up in a one of a kind place, but it's just been a super unique experience, especially going through college now.
0: That's really interesting, man, to be able to, code switch between both of these different types of groups and communicate effectively with them both, right? So talking to us about high school, when you were in high school, what did you think your future would look like?
1: So when I was in high school, up until my junior year, I generally thought I was going to go play pro soccer. And the reason for that, I thought I was pretty good and people told me that I was pretty good. But that was basically my whole life. I was playing anywhere between 30 to 40 hours a week um, on like two to three teams sometimes. And when I got to my junior year, I broke my leg. And what ended up happening is like my whole world got turned upside down. My college offers kind of got taken away. I had to really figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And ultimately moving from high school to college, what I thought was like, okay, I'll combine my parents' goal of me wanting to become a doctor with my love for sports and I'll go into athletic training long story short that didn't last
0: too long (laughs) I'm like first generation born in California right my parents are not from uh, the states at all Uh, mom's from Fiji my dad is from India and so coming over where they're both of Indian heritage right they have that mindset of there's only three possible career choices you can be a doctor you'll be an engineer or you'll be a failure (laughs) <laughs> was, it, was that the same kind of mentality that you had growing up with your parents?
1: Yeah, definitely. I would, I would say the other one that I did have as an option was a lawyer. That was an option on the table. And that was where I was like, okay, maybe I can combine sports with my parents' goal of wanting me wanting me to become a doctor. Again, it just didn't work out just because the classes and everything like that. But just a quick, funny story. The reason that I became a business major my sophomore year was because my roommate, we both played this video game called FIFA. And for those of you who don't know, FIFA is like the soccer video game on Xbox and PlayStation. And basically, there's this like stock market aspect to it. And I didn't even know what the stock market was at the time, but you could trade players, like buy them low and sell them high. And I figured out how to do it. And I traded to a million coins after like watching YouTube videos and stuff in like three months. And my roommate was like, dude, you can be really rich if you do this in real life. And he put me onto the stock market. That got me interested in finance. And then I got my finance degree or my finance major. And then that's what sort of led me into the world of entrepreneurship because I started to find content like of Gary Vee and things like that. So that's sort of my whole career journey, I guess. And it's always unique to, to understand other people's journeys because no one's is exactly the same, but you can always pick little pieces here and there and apply it to yourself and, and take that into the future, um, so to say. And I want to swing the question back to you, right? how did you sort of find your way into data science? Was that something that you were looking to do right out of the bat?
0: Not at all, right? So I, I graduated with my first undergraduate degree. That was like 2007, right? And the economy was on the downturn around then. And the only job I could find was as a math teacher. So I taught math for a little while. And I taught math to at risk students. So it was essentially, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of like a continuation school, but like for students in California, it's like this, right? If you get kicked out of high school, you go to a continuation school, which is like a school where all the bad kids go. If you get kicked out of continuation school, then you get put in this like academic rehabilitation program type of thing. Right. And that's the environment that I was teaching in, but it wasn't just Bad students, there's students there that were trying to get ahead as well. And, you know, being a math teacher there, like I didn't know how much I enjoyed math until I started teaching it. And from there, I started pursuing okay, what could I do with this passion in math? And that led me to walk down the path of the actuary for a while. And squiggly career line. you know, went from actuary to biostatistician and then got bored of being a biostatistician. They went into data science. But I think the common theme amongst everything was just, just interest in mathematics, I guess, that really drove my career.
1: I mean, it's so funny that you mentioned math, right? Just like the stereotype that Asian people are just supposed to be naturally good at math. But I find that the reason that people hate math, especially growing up, is because if you don't understand the core concepts of math of like addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, I'm saying like actually understand not just being able to do it, everything else becomes so hard. Mm -hmm. And when you you take that, that, that lesson and you apply it to sort of like your life, the same sort of things happen. If you don't understand the core basics of like what you want to do, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, this and that, then you kind of end up just going through the motions for the rest of your life. And that's how I've kind of just taken things for my whole life is like, I understand what sort of makes me happy. I need to have some free time. I need to be able to play some video games. I need to be able to travel. But at the same time, I need to know that I have to put in the, the hard work to be able to get the results that I want to, whether it's monetarily or like emotionally. And I don't think many people know that. And especially talking to college students, they definitely don't know that. Because when I ask them and I'll be like, Hey like what do you like what do you want to do after you graduate and I know that's a loaded question a lot of the time but sometimes they'll say like oh I want a job in marketing and I'm like okay that's cool like what do you want to do and then that's when they go blank everyone has that first answer but when you start asking why and like digging deep what you'll realize is the the really smart people the really successful people in the world they know their answer to a core and I think that's the ultimate thing because when you look back at it from like a math perspective, just bringing everything back to math, the best people who understand math, who are smart enough in math, they understand that core basics of of addition, subtraction, and multiplication, which isn't that hard on surface value.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. And like Naval he talks about this, this concept of specific knowledge and specific knowledge, essentially it goes back to what you're saying, that, that one thing that really piqued your interest Way early on in life, and just cultivating skills around that until you've developed such a unique skill set that you've become essentially the type of person that nobody can go to school to become. But I mean, I don't know, man. I feel like a lot of successful people will have that squiggly line. Like they may have known what it was that they really enjoyed doing, but they were so focused on that one job role that they didn't think of all the different roles that are associated to that one job role. And as they dig deeper and deeper, they might find these like little branches. And you actually you had a podcast just released earlier this week around that. And it was called, Um topic was How to Find Your Passion. And it covered something similar. Do you mind sharing, sharing uh, what you covered in that podcast with us?
1: Yeah. So this whole topic of like, how to find like find your passion, right? That's what everyone always tells you. Find your passion and you'll never have to work a day in your life. And that is true to a point, right? You need to find something that you you really love to do, but I think the the tough part that they don't explain to you is like your passion is one thing, but finding the job to actually work for your passion is something completely different. right? And I talk about this in in an upcoming episode um, this Friday, um, which is around the same sort of thing. But let's say like you love cats, right? On broad surface, there doesn't really seem like anything that you can really do to make a lot of money or like make a sustainable living when you love cats other than being like a veterinarian. So what if you aren't good at science? You're you're out of luck, apparently, right? But when you break it down and you understand you really love cats and you really love marketing and you really love business, how can you combine it all? You can combine it by creating a dropshipping company, an e-commerce company that sells cats merch. You can create an online community around cats and then sell them products. You can join a company like Chewy or something like that that sells cat products. There's all these different sort of things that they don't teach you in school. Because if you go to your high school counselor and you're like, oh, I love animals, they're going to be like, oh, maybe you should become a vet. But that's not the only path out there. and I don't think people realize that when it comes to passion. Like, Passion is great. You need to have your passion that you want to work towards. But then that second layer, again, is what's that job where you can utilize that passion to its full capability? And I don't think most people realize that.
0: Yeah, it's very, very interesting. couple of things I want, to, I want to touch on there. So have you heard of Cal Newport? He wrote this book called So Good They Can't Ignore You.
1: I feel like I've heard the name and I've heard that title before, but I haven't read it.
0: Definitely check out some of his YouTube YouTube talks around that. Book title so good they can't ignore you. But essentially he makes like three arguments in that book. Don't do what you love, but learn to love what you do and be a craftsman, just collect rare and valuable skills. And essentially those are like the two biggest arguments that, that stick out to me. So there's that aspect of passion. But another thing that I think is more interesting, and I'd love to get your perspective on this. All of these different branches that you mentioned, they're possible because of the Internet, right? Whereas the people who are teaching school, right? They, if if all they're saying is, oh, you could do a job as a vet, I'm guessing that person didn't grow up in the internet era to be able to come with these really interesting ideas that you have. Like, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that's the biggest problem, right? When it comes to career education a lot of these people that are in the space they have their master's degree they've been a career advisor their whole life or like for the past 10 15 years they haven't had to find a job and because they haven't had to find a job recently other than just like promotions and stuff they they don't know what's actually out there and also to the 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 other caveat to that is when it comes to career services again I look at it from a college level just take UCF my alma mater for instance like I love UCF but we have seventy thousand plus students on our campus. We have about seven advisors for faculty members. If every student went to those advisors, I think it's only like twelve seconds or twelve minutes per student for the entire year. That's but shame, the crazy, man. the crazier thing is that these advisors they still have free time. So if you're telling me that someone, if everyone went to this place, they would only get twelve minutes every year, but you're still having free time that doesn't add up to me there's a disconnect there and i think the disconnect is a students think that like oh i'm going to walk into a career service office and they're going to give me an internship because that's sort of like the vibe that they give out but also b career services doesn't understand how to translate their knowledge to gen z and what i mean by it is like they're throwing out webinars students can will not even pay attention to a zoom university um, lecture. Let alone you talking to them about how to use LinkedIn, and not even mentioning content creation or anything like that. Like they don't care about that. You have to find a way to make it interesting. And I don't think career advisors go to school to become teachers. And I think that's a big problem because ultimately they're, they, I would argue, they are they might be one of the most important teachers that you have a relationship with in college. But they aren't taught to be teachers, at least from my knowledge.
0: It's a really, really interesting. Do you think part of that has to do with like some students might not just go and see a career counselor? Because I can say I've never once gone to a college career counselor. Do you think that's something that students should be doing? Does it does it matter what part of their college journey they're at, whether it's freshman, sophomore, junior, senior?
1: Yeah. So I think so, like, just from talking to, to the people in the research that we've done, most students, if they go to career services, they have a bad reputation with them. So what that means is they might try it out their freshman year right, or their sophomore year. And then they go once, they're expecting to get an internship because that's what they say, come to our office, we'll get you an internship. They go once, they don't get an internship. They're like, why am I going to career services? They are, they're not living up to the value that they're telling me. Now that gives a negative feedback because they're never going to come back after their freshman or sophomore year. Secondly, career services is one of the least funded departments at the majority of universities around the US. So they don't have the marketing material or the marketing dollars that a college of business does or a college of engineering does. So that plays a role in it as well. And I think the stat that I've seen somewhere is that about 50% of students don't even will never even step foot in the career services office. And a lot of times that is also like location. If you look at where a lot of these career services departments are at schools, it's like tucked back in the corner on campus. It's never in the student union which makes no sense because it should be a core piece of uh, the university. Um, because if you ask any college student, like, why are you here? They're probably going to say, oh, I want to get a job and I need my college degree to get there. Why is career services not the core piece of the college offering then?
0: So talk to us about this couple of things. I want to touch it. One is related to picking a major to go and get a job, right? You did a really interesting post about this. Might have even been today or yesterday about the college major program and what's wrong with it. Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll just ask you, right? What was your your initial major in undergrad? What was that? Mathematical Econ. So mathematical Econ, right? And then what was your major post-grad? Uh,
0: math and statistics.
1: Math. So like you're kind of... You're, you're one of the few, I would say, that has actually stayed within your realm. But you're also going into a very specialized industry, I would say, as well, right? I would put data scientists in sort of the same realm as like a computer scientist and an engineer where you probably need that degree to get that job, right? Computer scientists, engineers, doctors, lawyers, you need that certification to really showcase that you can do that job. When it comes to majors, I think the majority of majors out there are very interchangeable. And why I say that is because the only reason that you need a major on your degree is so that when you are applying to these jobs and they say, oh, you're, you have a marketing degree or you have a finance degree or whatever it is, you can say that you have that and they can optimize their ATS system to boot you out or keep you in, um, in their sorting pile. When it comes to skills, a lot of these majors aren't even preparing you correctly for the job that you think that you want to get for instance marketing majors i pick on them all the time just because i'm in the field of marketing i go and speak to a marketing class juniors and seniors and i'm like hey guys you should start thinking of your linkedin page as a landing page rather than a resume do you know what a landing page is most of the time no one will raise their hand and i'm like how are you going to school for 3 or 4 years in a marketing degree and you don't know what a landing page is. It doesn't make sense to me. And the second part of that too is just, again, picking on the, marketing, on the marketing industry. We went out to create a career fair earlier this year. And it was a marketing-specific career fair. And we were like, okay, we're partnering up with AMA. It should be easy to get some companies to come to this event, especially marketing agencies. So we started reaching out to them like, hey, we're hosting this event. There's going to be a bunch of marketing majors there. We're, we're partnering up with AMA. Would you like to come? Almost every agency that we hit up said, we don't actually recruit marketing majors. We recruit more. Are, are, do you know if there are going to be any English or psychology majors coming to this event? And I was like, no, but I'm interested in like, why are you asking for them? And they said, marketing students understand marketing theory and they understand sales. That's basically what you're taught in marketing school. What they fail to teach in marketing school is how to write effectively from a persuasive way, which that's what you're taught in English class. And then you you're also you don't necessarily learn the psychology behind the buyer's decision, which you learn in psychology. And when I understood that, that's when things were really like my mind started to open up to this idea of like do majors actually matter? And I would say for the majority of fields, they don't like in the post that I, it was today that I put today. Like, I have a friend of mine. He is a biomedical, biomedical engineering major and electrical engineering major. All of his internships have been at, have been in so, or software engineering and computer engineering at like Twitter and Tesla and like big names like that. And then my other friend, he graduated from a non-target school with just a interdisciplinary studies. So he chose his own degree, basically. He created it himself, which I didn't even know that you could do, but again, apparently you can do that. He got a job in private equity, which is one of the hardest jobs to even get, especially as a, a recent grad. And when I started to hear more and more of these stories, I'm like, it really doesn't matter what major you have. It depends on what are you doing in school. And how can you actually showcase that you have those skills? And that's when projects really play a role. And that's why you're seeing all these really successful students on like LinkedIn and stuff. They're starting groups. They're starting online communities. They're starting podcasts and everything like that. That's to showcase that they have the skills to pay the bills, that their degree doesn't necessarily show these companies anymore.
0: Absolutely agree with you when it comes to podcasts, not podcasts, but uh, when it comes to projects, because... I don't even think necessarily that to get into data science, you need to have a math background or a computer science background. Yeah, it's super helpful. But just because you don't have that particular background does not mean that you cannot learn math or you cannot learn programming. And if you went through a university program that maybe wasn't quantitatively rigorous, but now you're starting to see that this data world resonates with you, then the best way to bridge that gap is a project. And a project, like you said, shows that you have the skills to to pay the bills and whatnot. That's huge, but dude, I don't even think that like i'm I'm against this whole college major system. I like to see stuff go back to like the apprentice system where you study what you need to study to do the job that it is that you want to do, but also pick up on other core skills, right like I think that like psychology, writing, like these type of skills are things that everybody should have, so I think they're teaching us the wrong mix of I guess they're called like required classes for the first yeah, two years, right I mean,
1: like if you think about it from a writing perspective, right, college writing is incredibly boring. No one wants to sit there and write a five paragraph m l a format, piece of paper no one cares about that. Mm-hmm. And the matter of fact is you'll never use MLA or APA format once you graduate. I don't understand why that that's really a thing. But like we brought in, um, we have this internship program um, for our, our podcast and we brought in one of my good friends, Jesse Louie. And what he loves to tell people is he gets paid to tweet. And when you, underst- like, when you understand the psychology of like, you get paid to tweet, like, and you tell a 19, 20, 21 year old that, like, you can literally get paid to tweet, to write that caption on Instagram, to create that copy for that YouTube video, whatever it is. Their eyes light up because they're like, oh my God, I interact with that stuff every single day. I didn't realize that there's someone behind that writing that stuff. That's what people care about. And that's what schools don't understand is like the attention is moving, but your curriculum is so old that you're not teaching the right things and it, that then leads to people thinking that these types of careers aren't out there like we're we're going to be creating an episode later on of like careers that you've never heard of that are really cool and i think that's just the super unique thing of when you really going back to like our first topic of understanding like who you are and everything when you understand who you are what you're really trying to do and what makes you happy and what you're willing to work towards i think that's when you start to find and fall into these jobs that you didn't even understand were there because most colleges don't even know that, that they're, they're even there in the first place.
0: Yeah, man. That's super, super interesting. And I think we should replace English, high, high school English rather with business writing. Because I've got like two books right here that I refer to on the regular, right? There's Everybody Writes and Business Writing for Dummies. These are skills that you need in the new world, being able to say things in as few words as possible for maximal impact. We should be learning
1: this. I think that's the funniest concept in the world is like your whole life in school. You try to stretch one concept as long as possible, right? In high school, it's like create this five page paper. In college, it's like create this 15 page paper. In master's degrees, it's like create this 50 page paper on this one little tiny subject. And then you get into the real world and, like, bro, can you turn that email into like two sentences, please? (laughs) Yeah, man. And like that skill is probably way more important than you figuring out how to write a 50-page APA formatted piece of paper. But you would never know that until you leave college. And I think like that's so interesting to me. Like I'll create, I had to do a business project in in college and then write an APA formatted paper. Like when am I ever going to do that in the real world? My manager's not going to want to see a 50-page paper. He wants to see a two-paragraph email saying, this is the results, this is how we got there, that's it. But they, I would never know to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, That's this an excellent point. So I'm curious now, we're talking about career counselors, career centers at colleges, and we're talking about uh, majors. And you mentioned that for marketing roles, that people who are trying to fill those roles don't even look for marketing students, right? So what does this mean for people who are in school now? like? should they define themselves by that that degree program they're in like oh I'm a marketing major oh I'm a this major or if if there was like a list of classes that you think every student should take to be successful in this new economy and if you were to recreate your own first two years of of just general education like what would you toss into the mix
1: Yeah. If, if I were to remake university and I've stuck by this concept for the past two years, ever since I've like started getting asked this question is I would get rid of the, you need to apply to college with like a major um, in mind because that sort of leads bad connotations. I think it's like a third of every single person that, that chooses a major, they regret their major. And then like a, a fourth of everyone ends up changing their major while in college so all that pressure that we put on people to like pick a major, it doesn't really mean anything. And then secondly, all the pressure that we then put on all the people that are undecided also is meaningless as well, right? If your friend is undecided, you're like, oh, what are you doing? Like, Why do you not have your life set together? You should pick a major. Like, That's really, there's no point for that. So what I would propose is instead of choosing a major, I don't think 99% of 18-year-olds know what they want to do for the rest of their life. They haven't really tried anything. What I would do is for the first four semesters, so the first two years that you're in college, you would pick four different subsets that you would then intern at for each of those semesters. So let's say you want to become, say you're really dedicated and you really want to become a doctor. What you would do is like you could intern as a cardiologist, intern as a surgeon, intern as a pharmacist. And then your last intern is maybe at a marketing firm just because you wanted to try something new. You do your three interns at medical places and you realize this really isn't a job that I want to do. But that marketing one was really fun. Let me explore it some more. Then your junior year, you go and choose your major. So you don't have to take those gen eds per se, right? Your gen eds are now your internship experience. And you only, you're only going to school for two years, your junior and senior year. And that's when your core classes really kick in anyway. That's what I think is the goal, like the, the ultimate college plan from my perspective, because you get actual real life experience to make an educated guess on what you actually wanted to do rather than coming from high school where for the majority of Americans, you're probably only going off of what your parents are telling you, maybe what you've seen on YouTube, if that. And that's maybe like the test that you have to take in high school where it tells you like what careers are good for you. And if I had taken that, if I had gone um, through with what that test told me, I would be a bookbinder. Like that was literally my number one job was a bookbinder. No one reads regular books anymore, especially when Gen Z starts getting the buying power. So it's like, it's, I think the the system is broken because we don't give students adequate enough time to test and try things. And that ends up ruining them for the future because they're like, okay, I'm a business major. I need to stay in business because if I don't, then I fail out and then I have to spend more time in school. And then there's so much pressure and I add more money, I add more debt. And it's just, again, a negative feedback over and over again if you ever want to transfer majors.
0: absolutely love that. And I think the valuable shift in mindset there is recognizing that it is not time wasted if you do this type of activity because what you learn during that period of time is not going to just automatically become irrelevant to your life, right? During that one semester where you did this internship, you would have inevitably picked up some skill, picked up something that you can carry with you throughout the rest of your career, right? And having this diverse skill set, this diverse talent stack, it really what separates you from whoever else Is out there interviewing for whatever job you're in right that's extremely extremely insightful point of view and um dude i still read regular books like all the time like
1: so you read (laughs) but like most people don't i would say like the especially my generation yeah and like one of the schools that does this really well is it's in canada what's it called uh the university of waterloo i believe and i believe i think that it might just be the College of Engineering, but it might be the university as a whole. But at least for the College of Engineering, you have to complete four co-ops before you graduate. Four. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I saw someone, one of my friends who's in who's trying to disrupt higher ed tweeted this, this stat out. And then someone commented, oh, that must be why my Tesla internships are always with University of Waterloo people. That's the beauty of... Creating an environment of testing things is your top students, they will go to the Teslas of the world, the Googles of the world, the Facebooks, et cetera. But the middle tier and bottom tier students, at least they're going to be forced to do something. And by them, by you forcing them to do something, gets them out of the comfort zone, gets them from just partying and doing all these things that college students do. But there's nothing wrong with that. But you need to get that experience in some way, shape or form. You get it that you make them and force them to do that early so that by the time that they're seniors, they're not just like, oh my God, I need to find a job now. They're starting that process early. And I think you set something up like that, that's when the game really changes and you start to see employment rates for college students actually start to rise rather than being where they're at right now where it's like, I think it's 25 to 30% of all students graduate with a job using their degree. And that was pre-COVID number. So I I don't even know what it is right now.
0: I think every... University should go to that model a co-op model man hundred percent so I want to ask you a question uh, ask you a question on the ATS system do you think there are some myths out there associated with the ATS applicant tracking system and if there are would you mind debunking them for us
1: so I think the problem when it comes to ATS system and I'm by no means an expert it's just the things that I've seen on like the internet and stuff like that that I've read in articles and stuff the The problem comes is every company's ATS system is different and they're all sorting out different keywords. And I would say for anyone out there who's looking for a job, you need to be cognizant of what an ATS system is just so that you know how to play the game. And what I mean by that is, right, if you're playing any video game in the world, you probably need to read that instruction manual at least a little bit to understand a little bit of how that game is played. If you go and you don't know how to play Smash Bros. against someone who has been playing Smash Bros. for the past ten years, you're going to get destroyed every day of the week. That's how you have to think of finding your job. There are cheat codes to the game of finding a job. One of those is understanding that that nine times out of ten, there's an ATS system on the other side, especially if you're applying to any large company. The second piece is understanding how the ATS system works, of making sure that there's specific keywords on your resume. If your key, if your if your resume doesn't have those keywords, then it gets sorted to another pile. And then you might be saying, Justin, okay, that sounds really bad. Like, why do companies do this? And that's when you have to put on like your company hat and understand why. Um, I saw a stat that Google gets 2 million resumes every single year. If you're looking at that from like an HR standpoint, there's no way that a recruiter can look through all of those resumes. And that's why they have these systems in place to try to make it a little bit. Easier for themselves and and efficient for themselves. And whether that's right or wrong, that's not really for you to decide. For you to decide is that's a part of the game. You need to now figure out how to play it so that you can win when it comes to that application process. So, when it comes to like myths and things like that, I don't think those are really important. I think the most important thing is understanding that it's there and there are free resources on the internet to help you beat that game, at least help you understand how it works and then kind of go from there. The one thing that I did that I did see though is we we recently had a TikTok that went viral about like the ATS. It had like 1.6 million views or something like that. One of the top comments, if not the top comment, is like just copy and paste the the job description on your resume and turn it into all white. Do not do that. Do do not do that. If you have any good recruiter and if you're applying to any reasonable job, that recruiter is just going to put it into plain text, and they're going to be able to see all those words, even if it's in white on your white background. So just just don't do that. <laughs> whatever you do,
0: that, that's such that's hilarious, but that's such a bad practice. So I think a cheat code to this, just to take your terminology from your show to bypass the ATS applicant tracking system, is maybe try to use LinkedIn to connect with recruiters or connect with potential hiring managers, and network with them. But there's obviously a good way to network and a bad way to network, right? So I'd love to pick your brain on some things that we could do to up our LinkedIn game, up our LinkedIn etiquette, make us better at networking. So what is the proper way to network with somebody on LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm starting to change this a little bit just because of I'm I'm part of this group that is we're writing a book together basically like we're all writing different books it's like an author circle um essentially and it's run by this guy named Eric Custer who is nicknamed the the book professor so he helps students around the world write write their book he has been able for this session alone he's gotten Jason Pfeiffer the C, the chief, the editor or the chief editor. Entrepreneur Tiffany Haddish. Later on, he's got Adam Grant and a bunch of other people to come in and speak to us for an hour. And the way that he's been able to do it is he thinks of it or he took it from one of Adam Grant's TED Talks, where Eric didn't know any of these people. He called outreach to them. But there's this concept that Adam Grant talks about where There's a certain percent of us that are takers. Those are people that are just going to take from us no matter what. There's a certain percent of us that are givers. They're going to give you your time of day if they have that time of day no matter what. And those people, when you reach out to them, they're just going to say yes, no matter what. You don't have to worry about them. The middle part, which is the biggest section, is what are sort of called the connectors. And those are the people that it's sort of like quid pro quo, where it's like, you scratch my back, I scratch your back.
0: Matchers, I think he calls
1: it. Matchers, yeah, matchers. Sorry, you know it better than me. <laughs> so, matchers. And Eric talks about this concept of the, which is again in Adam's talk of the five minute. What is it? I forget. Five minute. Five minute something. But basically, it's you taking five minutes out of your day to leave that person a review on their podcast, leave that person a review on their book, tweet at them, whatever it may be so that you show up on their feed and you give them something. That's you giving them value so that then allows you to take a little bit of value from them. And that value that you're taking from them is networking with that recruiter. So what I would do on LinkedIn is you can reach out to them on LinkedIn and the message that I always like to say is like, hey, I'm a student at this university. I'm studying this. I saw that you have an opportunity open for for XYZ. I'd love to connect and learn more about it. But what I would say, too, is when you're reaching out to these individuals, recruiters and HR managers are sometimes the worst people to reach out to because of the massive amounts of messages that they probably get. The best person to reach out to is people that are part of the team or the manager. And that might seem scary, but you will get more information from them than you will from the HR person. And the reason for that is that HR person they're recruiting for 10, 20, 100 different roles. That team manager or that team player only knows his or hers role. And they can give you specific insights into what questions are going to be asked, what to dress, what the company culture is actually like, and all these different sort of things. So if you're on LinkedIn, reach out to people, maybe try to find ways to, to give them value, whether it's endorsing them on LinkedIn, finding them on different platforms, finding out that they have a personal blog, and commenting on it, then when you reach out, you can mention that. And then that's when you go in for your ask of, like, hey, would you be open for a 15 minute informational interview, a, a a 30 minute podcast episode, anything like that? That's how you give them value before you take.
0: So I just looked that up. It was a five minute factor. I'll share a link to that in the show notes as well. So to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, so if we do try to network on LinkedIn. Don't make the first message be something weird, like just hi, or don't make the first message be begging for a job. Try to develop a relationship, add some value to them. And if you do choose to reach out to a recruiter, it's more of making them aware that you've applied for the role, that they can expect to see your application in the, in the system, but then try to reach out to, people who might be potential teammates to understand what their day-to-day is like so you can see if that role is something that you would want to be doing Did that yeah is that takeaway correct
1: yeah and the, the second part to that is imagine this right the the hr person that you're going to talk to they're just there for the initial screening right they're probably just going to ask you the generic questions and like the behavioral ones that everyone um, can find on the internet the people on the inside, the people that will be giving you your second or your third interview, those are the ones that you want to meet. Because imagine I'm going for a data scientist role, right? And I, I saw that your company is, is hiring for that. I reach out to you, say, hey, would love to jump on a 30-minute podcast episode for, for my show and talk about di- data scientists. We start to build a little bit of relationship, talk back and forth. I understand how your company works, yada, yada, yada. I apply and I say, hey, hey, Harpreet. I applied to, to this new data scientist role. Um, do you have any, like, is there any way that you can help me out or you give me a referral? You'll probably say yes, because we've had a great conversation on our own podcast. And then secondly, imagine if you're the hiring manager when I walk in for that interview. We've already built a relationship. I just have to prove to you that I have the skills to actually do the job. You're probably going to hire me because you already have that relationship with me. That's the golden ticket that people don't realize. People's like, oh, what are the chances of that? You'd be very surprised, especially if you're very strategic in how you're networking. Don't do a general splash of just like trying to connect with random people. Be very specific in terms of the companies that you want to reach out to and then the specific sort of sectors that you want to work in as well. That's how you, you optimize your, your job search and you'll get a lot less rejections that
0: way. Absolutely agree. As a hiring manager myself... You could tell when a message is well thought out and they put in some effort and put in the work as opposed to just a shotgun email to just copy paste (laughs) to everyone. So love to get some tips on how to make a good LinkedIn headline. Do you have any tips you can share with us for that? Definitely.
1: So your headline, for those who don't know, that's sort of the, the body of text that's under your name. What you want to do with this is you're going to want to first figure out what job that you want to optimize for. So once you figure that out, you're going to look at the job description and try to find those keywords. Again, those words that pop up a lot and what that might look like for, let's say you're going for a marketing role that might be email marketing, that might be something that pops up a few times on, on your headline. So what I'll see from, again, I'll take it from the student perspective a lot a lot of the times, and this kind of goes for, for adults as well. They will typically put like, I'm a student at this university or I'm a barista at Starbucks or anything like that. The problem with that is if you're looking at it from the recruiter standpoint, when they're looking up something on the LinkedIn search bar, they're not going to be looking up barista at Starbucks. They're not going to be looking up a student at this university. They're going to be looking up skills that you have. And that's what you can use your headline for. For instance, let's say you want to get into marketing. Maybe you build out a side project that you just started an email newsletter and you grew your email newsletter by 35% last month. What you can change your headline to is aspiring email or aspiring marketer and then put the, the dash, the straight line dash, and then put increasing companies' email marketing open rates by 35%. Now, when that recruiter lands and sees your headline, they know exactly what you're looking for and what you can do, as well as if that, that recruiter looks up email marketing, you have a better chance of showing up from an SEO perspective. And for those who don't know what SEO is, SEO is just search engine optimization. And that's, these are things that you need to understand when it comes to the job search. Because if your profile is SEO optimized, that ranks you higher when when these recruiters are looking for specific specific roles. And another hack here as well is when you're putting in your location, put the location of where you want to work, not necessarily where you live. Now that can be a little deceiving, but that helps you from a locally SEO-ranked standpoint. So if you're living in Wisconsin, but you really want to work in New York, I would suggest that you put New York um, as your location because that's ultimately where you want to be anyway.
0: Yeah, and if anybody asks you questions about it, you can just be like, yeah, I plan on moving to New York. I'm going to be there anyway. Whether or not I get this job, I have plans to be in New York, so that's why I just changed my location to New York. One thing I did with my LinkedIn headline, and this was a few years ago, I've changed since then, but I used keywords and I tried to make it a bit spicy, I guess, so to speak. So I had in there, I had, so three big tech stacks like Python, SQL, Tableau, right? In data science. So I had Python, Padawan, SQL, Sorcerer, Tableau, Tactician, right? A little bit of that alliteration and a little bit hinting towards my level of mastery with that particular tool, and so the more interesting and insightful you can get it, the better, right?
1: Yeah, I think if you can add your personality to it, uh, definitely do. The only thing too is like you just have to make sure that you're watching out from the SEO perspective, making sure that you have those initial keywords in there are great. The other thing that you you want to pay attention to too is what you can use your headline strategically to do is when someone is scrolling down their LinkedIn newsfeed, the things that they see from a profile perspective is your name, your profile picture, and your headline. If you use your headline strategically and you're commenting on posts, they can see that headline and it brings their attention to it and they might click on your profile. So something that I've seen someone do with, the, with her headline was she said, I believe, if you're reading this, then I marketed it right. And she wanted to get into marketing, so like it's like oh interesting. Like I read it, so maybe she wants to market. Like what is she trying to market to me? And that might make me click on her profile more, and that increases your profile views. So that's that's another way that you can look at your your headline as well. If you're if you're looking to create content or like engage your content on LinkedIn,
0: so it's almost like you want to set up your headline as a way to entice somebody to click on your picture to drill down a little bit deeper and go into your profile. And once they are in the profile, once you've done a good job hooking them in with that headline, they're going to come to your profile. They're going to read your about me section. What cheat codes can you share with us with respect to the about me section?
1: Yeah. So with the about me, again, you're going to want to try to put as many keywords in there as possible. I, would, I wouldn't suggest using the keyword bank that some people have I would just try to find different ways that you can incorporate keywords into your own story. Saying that, the main part of your profile or of your About Me section should be your story. And the reason that I say that is if that recruiter or whoever lands on your page continues to scroll down to your experience section, that's where you put all your resume stuff, all your accomplishments and everything like that. Your About Me should be where the recruiter or again, whoever falls on your page, where they fall in love with you. Because at the end of the day, I'm sure you can speak to this as well when you're working a job, ninety like there's a bunch of people that could do that job the same way that you do it. What separates you is your story, are you likable? Are you someone that I can see myself working with and that's where your your about me section can really play a role. How can you brag but in a way that doesn't seem braggy and gets people to fall in love with you so what i'd say what i what I like to tell people with that is If you're like an immigrant or first generation student, find ways to incorporate that into your profile because you never know that recruiter might be someone that is a first generation or immigrant student as well, and they can connect with you on that piece. So try to find different, like really niche things to put into there because you never know how someone can connect with you.
0: And this is an excellent place for you to showcase your communication skills, right? Because the About Me is a bit more of a long form. And it's going to be an opportunity for you to, first of all, showcase your ability to clearly communicate as well as use proper aesthetics for business writing. So white space and breaking up your paragraphs and stuff like that, right? I would even say use some inventive or innovative word choice, right? Like don't put I'm passionate about helping e-commerce companies understand churn rate, for better customer retention. I don't fucking know anybody that's passionate about doing that, right? You might be passionate about helping your stakeholders make better decisions with data. Like, okay, that sounds like more of something you'd be passionate about, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. You, I mean, this is where copywriting kind of plays a role, right? You want to be able to tell a story in a unique way, but also at the same time showcase that you know the lingo, you know, and understand how things work in that specific industry. So it's like, It's tough because especially for those who aren't marketers, who aren't writers, it can be really hard to figure out what to put in there. But that's why you need to understand how to write. And that comes with just researching online on on YouTube and and Google and everything like that. But a good place for you to understand good copywriting is if you go to marketingexamples.com. It's run by this really young kid, but he is an absolute genius when it comes to, to being able to curate great content and great stories in the marketing world so check that out if you're if you want to learn a little bit more about like copywriting
0: definitely man cuz that's one skill that i want to pick up right like even though i am a data scientist like i try to diversify my skill set as much as possible because when it comes to success in data science you should learn to build and you should learn to sell the ultimate is when one person can do both that's when you get those true superpowers and communication means selling right or selling means communication So I've heard you mention copywriting a couple of times. I've actually just recently in the last year or two have came across that job, pal. Do you mind quickly just describing what it is that a copywriter does?
1: Yeah, copywriters are just writers. That's, That's it. It's funny because you grow up, right? And everyone always loves to rag on the English major. They're like, oh, you can't make any money if you're an English major. But if you're an English major and you position it correctly, you can get a job as a copywriter. And if you're a really good copywriter, You can make a ton of money, whether it's writing articles for people, writing blog posts for people, writing tweets, all these different sort of things. Anyone who writes something online in a marketing sense, those are copywriters in and of itself.
0: Justin, last question before we jump into a quick random round here. First of all, thank you so much for sharing such wonderful insights. I found it really, really interesting and insightful. And I think you've got some great perspectives. Wise beyond your years, my friend. Uh, so thank here's you, you. here's the question before we jump into the random round. It's a hundred years in the future. What do you want to be remembered for?
1: I want to be remembered for the person for the person that started to make career education cool. And what I mean by that is, if you look at five, ten years ago, personal finances was something that no one talked about. But nowadays, you have personal finance influencers. So I want to take the the conversation around career education and change that into the, the the same way that the conversation around personal finances are right now. So if I can become that person, that's that's what I would love my my 100-year legacy, so to say, to be.
0: Man, I definitely, definitely see that happening. You're putting out some great content sharing, some great advice through your LinkedIn post as well as your podcast. Highly recommend everybody checking out the College Declassified Podcast. I gained so much value from it. And you know, here I am in my late 30s and I still learned something. I absolutely enjoyed it. So jumping into the random round here, what are you currently most excited about or what are you currently exploring?
1: E-commerce. So, like just from the influencer standpoint, right? From merch and all that, but also a friend of mine is in the e-commerce space and we're actually a, a call later tonight. Um, where we're talking about like how we can start to set up our own company and everything like that from an e-commerce perspective. So that's something that, that we're working on and we'll see see what happens. Hopefully it's enough to to fund this little dog back back here. So we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah, e-commerce is is going to blow up incredibly in the future, just given our global situation. And I see some interesting things happening for e-commerce in local economies. So yeah. What are you most inspired by right now? Most inspired by. That's I've never had that question before.
1: I would say right now I'm most inspired by when students reach back out to me and they say like, "Oh, thank you so much for for producing this episode. This like helped me on my last interview and helped me get my internship." Or when someone takes a listen to my to to the podcast and they're like, "Oh my god." Like I, I never listen to podcasts, but I've listened to three of yours and I am i can't wait to listen to more. That's what inspires me to keep going because I know that I'm on the right track. I just need to figure out how can I get this into more people's ears. So that's, that's what inspires me the most to just keep on
0: grinding. Well, I'm hoping that the thousand or so people listening out there puts your content into their ears because I know they're going to gain a tremendous amount of value from it. What do you believe that other people think is crazy?
1: I believe that you genuinely can do anything that you put your mind to. And I know that's like what we're told as kids, but I don't think many people actually believe it when it comes to like what they say. What I mean by that is I believe you can be anything that you want in your life. But the caveat to that is you're going to probably have to work really, really hard if you want that thing to do. And that's the part that a lot of people leave out when they're telling kids like, oh, you can be whatever you want to be in life. And you're like, you grow up and like, oh, wait, this is really hard to get there. And I think that's, that's the part that we fail to, to tell kids when they're growing up.
0: Are you familiar with Carol Dweck and her work, uh, Growth Mindset versus Fixed Mindset? Mm-mm. Definitely look into that. I think you'd really enjoy it. This concept of, of these two, the, you know, the antagonist of the Fixed Mindset the protagonist, the growth mindset. Definitely check that out. So if you could have a billboard put up anywhere, what would you put on it? Only
1: because I've seen it work on TikTok. I would create a billboard focused towards David Dobrik on creating a scholarship for DACA students because he's a DACA student. But also I saw of TikTok of this guy, he's trying to trade sand, a bag of sand all the way to a Tesla. And David Dobrik's known for, for giving away Teslas. So David Dobrik saw the sign and he hit him up on TikTok and, and he didn't give him the Tesla because he want, the guy wants to get the Tesla directly from Elon Musk, but he gave him a LA tour bus. Um, so <laughs> I, I know that it works. But that that's probably what I would put on. Like we can create a cool scholarship. That'd be awesome. I like that. Are you currently reading anything right now? So what what do you got? I'm currently rereading the hundred dollar startup right now. So I don't read a lot, but I listen to audiobooks. And that's one of the most interesting books that I've seen, just because it's like, how can you build something that's not an Uber, that's not an Airbnb? Like not everything has to be those. And I think we really discount the companies that aren't those. Um, there's different ways to generate a solid amount of income. Like some of the people in the book are making seven figures off of like starting off with a hundred dollars. So it's like pretty insane.
0: You might enjoy Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Um, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah, that's on my list. Yeah, it's on my list. What song do you currently have on repeat?
1: What song? I recently recently heard from this dude. His name is like Three Lau. He's like a DJ. And I was listening to his stuff on Spotify earlier today. I just came across his music and it's pretty dope. So uh, I would would say, I don't know the name of the song, but just him in general. I've been listening to a lot of his stuff today.
0: Check that out. We're going to open up the random question generator for the next few questions. And I'll even answer some of these along with you. The first question is, which fictional place would you most like to go to? Which fictional place? I don't know
1: why it just pops into my head, but like Narnia, I think would be really dope.
0: (laughs) Dude, that shit was on my mind too. I was about to say Narnia. All right. I don't know why, but it popped up in my head. But it would have to be Narnia in the summer, right? Not with that eternal winter bullshit. I don't know. I miss the winter. So I'm originally from Connecticut
1: and I live in Florida now. So like any chance that I love that I can go back during fall, spring, or winter, I I always take a chance just because it's a breath of fresh air. As long as I don't have to live there.
0: Yeah, yeah, dude. Like, I'm I'm born and raised in Sacramento, California. and I lived there until I was way late into my 20s, but I've been in Canada for like the last six years. I <laughs> love the freaking winter. I love the winter. I love the cold. I love the fog. But I don't know if I put up with that with eternity. <laughs> what is your theme
1: song? My theme song. The first song that came to my head was Do Not Disturb by Drake.
0: I think that's the name of the song. Nice. I say right now at the moment, it would be Akira the Dawn taking souls. So Akira the Dawn, he's he he's friggin' awesome, man. He made an entire album with Gary Vee. I think I'll I'll link you that so really? check it out. It's called the Gary Vee Show. But what he does is he takes people's speeches and he cuts it up, puts it to a beat, and takes the spoken word, whether it's from a podcast interview or a keynote speech or whatever, and puts it over a beat and just makes it the most amazing thing ever. So he did that with David Goggins, and so oh wow, that's yes. awesome! Yeah, so taking souls is of the Dawn*. David Goggins. Do you got any nicknames? Um, a funny one that I go by is my
1: my friends call me it sometimes. It's uh Quang, and the origin story behind that is my friends in high school they hacked my uh my Xbox profile somehow, and then they just looked up like top ten Chinese names, even though I'm not Chinese. It was just like a joke. And Quang was one of them. So they changed my name to Quang and I was just too lazy to change it back. So like my senior year, no, my junior year of high school, I was called Quang. And then like my senior year of high school, I was like, I changed it. Like my Twitter name, everything was like, I'm not Quang. So like th- they still call me that to this day though.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious, man. I guess for me, nickname is Harp or Fox. Depending on okay. who's, calling I mean, who's calling me. All right. So, oh, this is one I haven't come across yet. Who is one of your best friends and what do you love about them?
1: Other than my girlfriend, I would say, shout out to Michelle. I would say Mike Fang is probably my my best friend out there. And I think what I love about him most is just, he's just someone that even though we don't talk like that often, every time I go back up and see him in Connecticut, or like we just hop on Xbox and play with each other or something like that, like it's just instant connection. Like it, it's hard to, hard to put it into words where it's just literally like we could not talk for, for six months, a year or however long, but the instant that we're together, it's like, we like nothing ever changed. Like that was a kid that I, we grew up together. We played soccer together. We dribbled a soccer ball in our neighborhood together and everything like that. And that connection just has never left ever since then.
0: That's awesome, That's a beautiful thing. I mean, I've got like something similar with, with three of my friends that, you know, had since way back in the days so i'm gonna cover my bases here and say barring my wife barring my five-month-old son who's you know also my new best friend i'd say that i got this this tight group the woof chat so that's dj nupe and raj and we text almost daily in this little group chat um i love them because man they've been through everything we've been through everything together so just history there man it's a lot of history and uh somebody who people, a group of people who know me from like back then who've seen me take all these different twists and turns in life and are able to, to truly understand the story. Definitely.
1: A hundred percent.
0: So how could people connect with you? Where can they find you online?
1: Yeah. So if you, if you want to check me out, definitely check out the Declassified College podcast. Um, that's on every single podcasting platform. And then from there, the best place to see my content is on LinkedIn. So just LinkedIn forward slash I N forward slash Justin GCGU. So either or just just hit me up and just let me know that that this podcast ends you.
0: Justin, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come onto the show today. I really appreciated you sharing such wonderful cheat codes with us today, man. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.